Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash genre. Over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, or Kindle. That's audibletrial.com forward slash G-E-N-R-E. Weirdo bookworms unite! We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Fans of horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and more can stop by as we chat about what we've been reading. Hello and welcome to Genre Junkies. I'm one of your hosts, Sandra. And I'm your other host, Scott. Hi, Scott. Hi, Sandra. Okay, everybody, welcome to our last episode for September. We are right on the heels of October, Halloween Eve, if you will. October, where it's going to be all horror all the time, and we're kind of softly leading into that this week. Yes, we are. So originally, I had thought that this story was going to be more dark fantasy, kind of light horror, but it's actually, it's horror. It's definitely horror with some still fantastical contemporary elements, I would say. It, this definitely fits more in horror probably than anything else, but it's uh, it's a little, it's it's not really appropriate for Horror October, so I'm glad we're doing it a little bit early. I agree. Like, I don't think it's quite the level of Octoberness that we wanted, but it's, um, it's definitely a good start to the season. Let's, let's just put it that way. So the book that we're talking about is The Good Demon by Jimmy Cojoles. And we are just going to call him Jimmy because I couldn't find a great pronunciation on that. Feel pretty good about that pronunciation? I feel pretty good about it, too. We, we discussed that a little bit. Yeah, because we never want to be that guy because, like, I have a last name that's, like, hard for people to pronounce. And I know that it's, like, it gets tiring to hear people struggle through your last name. Yeah, you never want to hear an hour of people saying your name wrong. So before we talk about The Good Demon, which um, we were privileged enough to get to read an arc of that, but this book is out now. It just came out really recently, so you can still get in on this super early on the ground floor. But before we talk about that, we're going to talk about our TBR for October. Okay, so this is going to be put out on our social media as well, but just in case you want to get a jump and make sure you're reading the books along with us for October, and I mean, dare I say this is something we're going to try to be better about in the future, is like letting people know in advance the books we're going to be reading, dare I say? We have received a little bit of input from people who we release an episode and then don't listen to it for a couple weeks later because then they end up reading the book. We want to get ahead of that now. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's totally fine. I mean, we're happy if you just, you know, listen to these eventually <laughs> when you read the book. But we want it to be a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more of a book clubby feel, I guess, where we're kind of doing it together. Yeah, so you can always listen to the first half of the episode to see if you want to listen to a book, but if you just kind of want to follow along and listen to it all in one go, then you know what's coming up. Yeah, cool. So with that having been said, we are definitely doing it for October. So we're going to do three episodes in October, and those three titles are going to be The Hunger by Alma Katsu, Haunted by Chuck Palahniuk, and Campfire by Sean Sarles. I will not be reading one of those three books. I'll be around to ask some questions of the other two who are going to be reading Wait, it. Wait, no, you're a liar. You said you would read the first chapter. I will read the first chapter, and I already know that that's about as far as I'm going to get. 
All right, everybody, so stay tuned. Without further ado, let's talk about the good demon, shall we? Let's do it. The story follows Claire, teenage girl who recently underwent an exorcism against her will. That's right. Claire didn't want her demon taken away by a father and son pair of evangelists. Now she must face the world without her. But her demon left clues behind, one of which is to befriend the boy who helped exorcise her. There's also the matter of Claire's small southern town and the secrets that lie behind closed doors. Is that what's on the back of the book or did you write that yourself? That was mine. That was yours? Okay, I like yours. Um, I was very similar. This is a very difficult book to, you know, make a dust jacket explanation for because it's it's a lot of different books in one, I feel. And it's... It's like a lot of stuff, but it's also deceptively simple, what's going on at the heart of the matter. So let's clarify, too, that the demon who was in Claire, she does not have a name. She is referred to as her, as she. So that's how we'll refer to her as well. So uh, uh, try to stay caught up and don't get confused by that. It's a little confusing. So I'd like to start with my experience score, may I? Uh, Yeah, you go ahead and go first. I'm really curious to know, although I have a pretty good idea. All right. um, So for me, this was a page turner, a solid, happy page turner. Um, A lot of that has to do with the narration and the voice of Claire. I mean, I love the plot and the stuff going on, but I just really loved hanging out with Claire and hearing this all from her perspective and in her really unique point of view. So this is um, this is horror, little bit of dark fantasy. There's some wonderful gore, supernatural elements. It is just a perfect little Southern Gothic. And I am always hungry for Southern Gothic since I am an Anne Rice devotee, um, among other Southern Gothic writers that I love. Well, I feel like this book was in a lot of ways written very much for you. Oh, I agree. Uh, it, it's kind of the coming of age story for for little Ms. Monster over here. Well, not. I mean, it's for a lot of us. Well, but yeah, I agree. Of course. Uh, for me, The Good Demon was a good read. Uh, it kind of snuck up on me. I'm terrified of possession. So <laughs> I was really dreading reading this one. But the story is actually really quite sweet. Oh, very sweet. Uh, it's not, you know, some thrilling adventure or some, some you know, gut-wrenching terror, but um, I cared so much about Claire that I just really loved this book every time I picked it up. Well, and I will say there's some great tension. Actually, let's talk a little bit about um, Jimmy's writing style, kind of on that note. So um, there is some scary, scary tension. Like I said, there's some gore. There's some icky stuff going on. And then I suppose a lot of people, maybe not people listening to this podcast, but a lot of people would be um, uh, borderline offended by the subject matter of a girl who is happy to be possessed by a demon. There's parts of it that are almost sacrilegious. It, right, but it's um, it's not meant to be. There's no... Like, I didn't get a lot of anger or ill will or, like, shaking one's fists at God, because that's not how Claire feels. It's kind of just a different interpretation. Actually, not even different. A personal interpretation of demonic possession. I mean, the Reverend and his son, uh, Reverend Sanders, I think, and his son, Roy, they, um... 
you know, they're kind of a little strange. They're kind of odd ducks. They're um, charismatics. I said evangelicals. Kind of the same thing where they're uh, very fire and brimstone, very lots of rules and sin, sin, sin. You're a sinner. You do bad stuff. Uh, Finger wagging a lot. Uh, like Roy doesn't go to um, school with other people because there's too many bad influences. He's not allowed to like really absorb any pop culture, nor a lot of history. Like he doesn't believe in dinosaurs type of, type of deal. It's it's very much the the Bible is a literal interpretation of God's word, and you will follow it to the letter. And you're right, very much fire and brimstone, and and. Just very, what, what is the word for a literal, for someone who believes in the literal translation of the Bible? Pentecostal? Silly, Silly is the word I'm looking for. Well, okay. <laughs> um, they're, they're just, they're, they're very traditional, like Baptist level believers. Yeah, there's not a lot of room for interpretation, I guess. And I'm sorry I said they were silly, but I, I, I do think they are, because I love dinosaurs. Well, thankfully, this is America, and people can believe whatever silly things they'd like to believe. And I support you doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, I was super into his writing style. Like I said, that's part of, I mean, besides the fact that I love the plot, I loved the way he wrote. I loved the way he wrote Claire. I loved the way he wrote this town and the people in it. Um super captivated he really got his hooks into me and that just made the plot even richer i really like the way that he wrote claire in particular because there, there's a certain um there's a certain character trait that she has when he's writing her that brings her to life that is not just a typical it, it's i think it's more about the writing style than it is even about the character there's so many times when she says it kind of is sort of my favorite or, you know, I kind of loved it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a neat little, and this is this is this is internal dialogue that she's giving to the reader, not verbal dialogue in the book. And there's so much of things like that that just it, it makes her as a character more believable in the way that he is writing her perspective. Right. There's this, a lot of relatability, and um, even though she's going through a really hard time, she has a really wonderful sometimes gallows sense of humor too that makes her so so likable um i i just love how she's kind of dirty like she's just like she's raw like uh i i'm trying to think of more eloquent ways to put this she is you know she listens to these 80s punk and goth bands that her father listened to she wears whatever she can you know afford or steal or looks interesting from uncle mike's thrift store she knows she's weird and strange and she has a pretty effed up home life and she's had some trauma and some stuff happen to her, but she's still just really beautiful and damaged in like the most realistic way and so brave. She is really brave. What what I like about the way that she's written is she has a lot of damage because of her somewhat crummy home life and and it informs the way that she acts but she's still a very normal 15 16 year old teenager i think she's actually even a little bit older than that i think she's 17 oh is she 17 okay i mean she's she's 
she definitely fits into that mold. Uh, just her decisions are informed by some of her crummy past, but she's not defined by it. Right. Um, she's not even strictly defined by the fact that she was possessed for so long. It definitely plays into her relationships with other people because her best friend was her demon. But she's not um, she wasn't always a weird kid just because she was possessed. Right. Like she's just um, she's a cool, unique uh, little chick. And that's definitely God, it sounds so like humble brag. But like, yeah, that's like why I relate to her. Like, I just relate to her so much on so many nuts and bolts and like gritty level i see a lot of myself in her and to say that her and her demon were best friends it goes so beyond that i mean they're basically soulmates they are each other's only as as they they describe it yeah yeah it this is a very hard book to talk about without going into spoilers but what i found the most interesting about this book and and listeners something that really should appeal to you is that this is not strictly a horror novel. It is a regular kind of mystery slash coming of age novel that is built around a horror idea. And there are serious horror things related to that. But this book goes in a lot of different directions. I would definitely like to see this book get into the hands of not just horror fans, but uh, especially of adult horror fans. I agree. And I don't know, I think maybe this kind of leads into an appeal score. Yeah, before we go on a little bit more about a little bit more about the story and the characters, uh, I'll say for me, the appeal score is general. Um, it wasn't easy. I really like waffled a lot on where to to give this because I wouldn't say it's niche. But like I said, I mean, I would like to see a lot of horror fans of all different ages, especially adults reading this, because like me, I think they're going to see a lot of themselves in Claire. And I think they're going to appreciate this relatively new spin on the possession subgenre. Um, I know you and I have both read some books a little bit in the past where people are like, okay, or willingly possessed, mm-hmm. uh, willingly being driven, which in some religions and spiritual pa- practices, that's totally acceptable. Um, but it is a relatively new thing for the horror movie and book community to be like, what does that mean? And what does that mean when you lose your demon? And then, you know, as I said in the synopsis too, there's a lot going on in this town. More than meets the eye. That's where this kind of mystery stuff comes in. And some fantastical elements as well. So when it comes to appeal, the problem that the good demon has is in its premise. Uh, demons are polarizing. So it's hard to see just anyone picking up this book for themselves. Uh, but I think that that's their loss. Because in my opinion, more than just about anything that I can remember reading this past year, this is a mass appeal book. Ooh! I love that you think that. Really, there's so much to relate to. There's a wonderfully written teenage girl getting to know who she is. It's a really strong, relatable story. And there's a lot of deeper themes. There's there's a lot of themes, but none of them are less deep because of how many there are. It might not be the most fun book that I've read all year, but (laughs) it might be one of the best. Um, so I do want to touch briefly on characters before we move into the spoiler section. And, you know, a lot of the times we give trigger warnings for books if they're necessary. And oftentimes we put them in the spoiler section at the very beginning. Um, but there is a trigger warning in this book. We decided since um, it's there's nothing about it spoilerific, we're going to put it in here. 
uh, there is trigger warning for sexual assault in this book. That's right. It is not a defining point of the book. It is not a, the plot is not built around it. Or hinged upon it. But it is, it is there and it is important. And if that is something that is um, a trigger for you, then, then beware. So I don't want to go too deeply into any of these characters. We can definitely save that for the spoilers. But um, there's not a huge cast in this book. We're going to talk about Roy later, which is the Reverend's son. There's a lot to dissect with Roy. Uh, but two kind of minor characters in this book that I loved are Uncle Mike and Miss Mathis. First of all, those are great names. They are great names. And they're great characters. They're very like these two people that you would find in a small town, small southern town, small anywhere town, that have a history. And it's like, you know, sometimes I think, especially young people, they think like, old people never had lives, old people never experienced things. And we kind of get to see through Claire's eyes that, wow, there's more than meets the eye with these two. I love the idea of older, kind of crazy people who are the old guard of the story, who are the ones who know the knowledge, but they're just a little weird. They're kind of the old fantasy trip of like the man on the mountain, like the hermit, where they give you a lot of plot. But there's something that's especially like juicy about these two, because they do both have backstories that get explored. And it's like, wow, y'all lived. Y'all lived life. Yeah, it's a really good idea to have two of them in this particular book as well, because instead of having one, not mentor, but like you said, man on the mountain, you have two that are on on two different sides of the story with different perspectives. Right. Instead of one person being all knowing and all experiencing, they come at it from different directions and really inform the, the direction that, that the plot takes. Right. Their, uh, their perspective of the events, <laughs> so to speak, are, are both very different witnesses to the story. Very cool to um, nice little seasoning, nice little pepper, nice little salt and pepper in this delicious stew of a book. Well, what else do you want to say before we cut to spoilers? I can't think of anything else I can say until we do start spoiling this book. <laughs> so if you want to hear it, stick around. And if not, we'll catch you a little bit later. And hopefully you'll read along in October with us. Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Okay, so let's um, let's dive a little bit more into this book. Did you... Okay, so I want you to tell me, Scott, did you like this book? Because we obviously know I loved it. I, I liked it. Actually, I... I deeply appreciated this book. Yeah. I'm really happy that I read it. In a lot of ways, I really, I hold this book quite dear to myself right now. I don't know if I enjoyed the book, uh-huh. but I, I loved it. Oh, I think you loved it like how you love me. <laughs> because like you love it because you love me, because there's so much of me in this book. Does that make sense? That might have something to do with it. But no, really, it, this book in particular, there's so much in it. Yeah. This is a book that I, I immediately want to read again. Because yes. I feel like there's there's very subtle themes in everything. It's it's very well layered. Yes. Just, just in her relationship with her, her yeah. demon, is layered with so much exploration in ideas of loneliness, 
and anxiety, codependence. It's even uh, softly touched upon that it's, 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 it's an exploration into addiction itself. Right. And her father was an addict, a drug addict, mostly. And her mother struggled with addiction. Sounds like mostly alcohol. And so it's... um. It's some more of that, this family horror stuff that I love so much. It's not like super heavy on that, but there is some of that and kind of this like you inherit from your family, maybe these um, predilections for addiction, maybe for mental illness, whatever. But it's like, it's up to you to get help and to break cycles. The author doesn't beat you over the head with this, and you might even have missed it in your first reading, but there's a lot of similarities in how she's describing the loss of her demon and the emptiness that she feels Mm -hmm. to what her father described as the feeling of coming down. Yes. There's a lot of similarities in how she's, she's willing to give up anything for this high of her in the same way that a drug addict or, or an alcoholic does for their own vice. Right. And, and a lot of it for Claire is also shedding um, childhood. It's, you know, she really is making the decision to be an adult and be her own person and um, stand on her own without negative influences because she turned out to have a lot of negativity, just like Roy. Um, before I get into that too much, I, I one thing I loved about this that I couldn't say at the beginning is this like totally destroys a lot of tropes. Like it destroys a lot of young adult tropes about friendship and about first love. And I'm so glad they did because if Claire had gone back to her or to Roy, it would have like been infuriating because both of them served their purpose, taught her lessons, and it would have been detrimental to go back to them. And I feel like in a lot of young adult books, she would have gone back to one of them. Oh, I I fully expected her to end up with Roy at the end, which would have been which would have severely damaged my opinion of this book. Oh, I was I was going to throw it in a rage. Yeah, I was I, I would have been very angry, especially after. I mean, he is he is clearly a damaged individual himself. He's indoctrinated yeah. in, he's indoctrinated by his father. But after he called her and and called her a slut, it was like Ugh. that's that that we're over. It's done. There is there even if he himself is a sympathetic character in a way, he is not to be forgiven for that. Yeah, let's dissect Roy kind of on that level, too, because I would like to think that in the future, when Roy grows up, I I want to still hold out hope for Roy, that he can get out from under his father's thumb and be his own person someday, because he got tastes of that. And he obviously liked that freedom, like of someone else picking out his clothes that's not his dad, listening to her music, exploring a relationship with her, reading things he wasn't supposed to be reading. And like the fact that they could just talk for hours and hours and hours about anything and nothing makes me like want to believe like, I really hope Roy can break his own cycle someday. I it don't still have, doesn't mean he can call her a slut, but he's... No, I think that he does have a chance of breaking the cycle, mainly because his father has a bit of a chance to move on from his obsession 
Right. The wish house has now been burned down at the end of the book. And he has succeeded in the whole reason he became a preacher in the first place. And so there might be a little bit of release. There also might be a strengthening of their belief. Well, and, and for the Reverend and for Roy, they did come back for her. They didn't leave Claire out in those woods, which um, I was happy about. <laughs> like They didn't just abandon her carcass out there. You're right that there are a lot of tropes that are subverted in this book. And, and those, those work to support some of the tropes that are enforced in this book. The idea of having her mom who had kind of uh, a deadbeat husband before in this case died but i but either left or died and then ends up marrying a really crummy stepdad and being weak and weak-willed and isn't able to escape from that and isn't even able to stand up to him that is a very strong and in a lot of books unfortunate trope that i've that i've come to dislike but because of everything else that it subverts I'm it it does well to also have those solid tropes in the book. Well, and, you know, there's glimpses of just like how he know that for there was a period of time there where her mom was sober, that it's like she does. um, Her mom has layers and her mom has uh, a lot of willpower. And we see little little chinks um, in in this defense mechanism she's built up. And then so it's a really nice payoff when she you know, like kicked Larry out or whatever, like told him to get lost because it's like we it because it's like you're seeing her and you're like, I know you can do it. I know you can get rid of this guy because he's no good for you and your daughter. And she did. And that's really cool because it's not with a lot of fanfare or anything like that. It's just like how a lot of people get out of bad relationships. And what I like about this book, and this is true with everything, there's so many subtle hints, but there's there's definitely an argument that a lot of the negative tropey character traits that are that that are that that are revealed in different characters over time are possibly because of her the demon or because of the demons because of the one wish man when uh larry her stepfather first came to the house he seemed like a really great guy he seemed totally normal they got along and it was her that said no he's a bad guy He's a horrible guy. He's not a good guy. And he lost his job and he ended up fulfilling that prediction that her made of him. There's an argument to be made that some of the really crummy things that some of the characters end up falling into in this book might have been guided that way by the demons. I think that's an interesting argument, but I don't agree because I I don't like the idea of (sighs) blaming a supernatural force for your own shortcomings (laughs) and... Oh, oh, certainly. I, I don't think that Larry was made a bad person by the demons. I think that his bad side that already existed may have been pushed that way by the demons. Roy was a great person until until Claire stood up to the demon that was watching her and said, I'm not I'm not doing this. And then suddenly, suddenly he turns. Suddenly Roy goes back to his darker side. I think that. Yeah, no, I think it's an interesting argument. I like to think of it that way because otherwise some of the heel turns that are made in the book are too convenient for the story. Again, I'm not sure I agree, but I think it's an interesting opinion. So 
Um, We kind of talked about this a little bit at the beginning about the treatment of religion. And obviously, we have like some people, Roy and his dad, who are like this really extreme kind of fringy part of Christianity. And then we have Claire, who's kind of indifferent and not sure what she believes in. And I like how it's not answered. Like, it's still not surmise. And I mean, you know, like, there's demons, but there's demons in a lot of religions and and beliefs around the world. Um, And I kind of liked that, that no hard conclusions were drawn, because I I don't think that would have served the story and it would have served Claire. Yeah, I don't know if they were necessary. The the fact is, is that if if demons exist, demon exists. Every religion believes in it. It doesn't matter if you lock down exactly why or where they came from it. They just are. So let's talk a little bit about the one wish man, Gaspar. What a psycho. I mean, like, oh my gosh, what a creepy, wonderful villain who's kind of this wonderful boogeyman amalgamation of so many different bad wizards like throughout literature and it's kind of alluded to that like he kind of is that guy and like he just had these weird orgiastic parties and debaucherous um you know folderols for people and it made them rich and it made them powerful and it was all you know like he could be anywhere he could do anything and he probably served different communities over time being this weird I don't know, just ball of bad magic that he is. I kind of got the impression that he's a bit of a of a Satan character. It does, I mean, the book does, in no way suggests that he is Satan, but he is the the tempter. And, and and she even says like maybe there's entrances to the One Wish House all across the world. Yeah, exactly. And he's presented through most of it as being a living human that that has just found a way to do all of this, but. You know, at the end, then he can't be killed. Right, he's basically immortal. And and so it almost feels like he is the Satan. He is the one who tempted Jesus in the desert. He is the one who tempted Adam and Eve. He's the one who who offers all of these 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 things for people in order to turn them over to the other side. Yeah, I just thought he was just a really cool good bad guy and we do beat him. We do beat him in the end. Um I want to talk about her, the demon. I was very pleased with the twists around her, speaking for myself, because, you know, as we know these clues, remember the stories, June 20th, you know, make Roy your friend, basically, these clues she left behind. I was trying to still make her good. Throughout a lot of the book, I was like, she has some reason for this, you know, she she wants Claire to have a friend like how she was, and, you know, it's all going to tie back, and She's going to tell Claire, I'm sorry, but we got to go our separate ways, you know, like really altruistically. But then as it's getting near to the end of the book, I'm like, something is not right here. Like, this is, um, this is not good. And I think that she is not good. <laughs> and she loved Claire. She loved Claire very much. We know that to be true. But, um, she also had her addictions. She was addicted into possessing people, especially children, through many years because, you know, they have this hungry, empty, hollow existence. And then you get some time to be loved and warm and in the sun. And she was fulfilling her addiction as well. I mean, certainly what she was doing with Claire 
how she felt about Claire. It was true love, and it was probably the closest thing to good she'd ever done in her existence. Absolutely. But she plays into another really strong theme of this book, and that is kind of the definition of what love is. The two of them truly love each other. Roy and Claire truly love each other, but no one in this book really knows how to love someone. Love isn't necessarily, oh, it cures all wounds. Love isn't necessarily unconditional or perfect. It's just, it just is in this book. Which I think is how it is in life, too. And I was glad that love didn't solve all the problems. I mean, except for loving oneself. (laughs) Which, not to sound cheesy, because it's not cheesy at all the way it's presented in the book, but that is the most important part, is having love for yourself before you can give love to other um, demons or people or whatever. I was also very happy that um, Clea came for her at the end, because that was a nice send-off to both of those characters, because it was like, she doesn't have to be bad. And now Clea has somebody to work with, mold like Clay. Okay, so that was the one part of the book that I did not feel it had earned. Oh my god, I want to do, are you serious? Yeah, that was I, wonderful, it was one of my favorite things. I, I, I see what he was trying to go with there. Clea was an important important character in that you know i mean she was not actually a character in the book but she had come before but she didn't have any connection with the demon she had more of a connection with kevin than with the demon well right but that was her link and now that clea is uh, a spirit a being and she's a helper and she wants to do what's right so really less than like a redemption for the demon it was more like a an olive branch for Clea, like something to connect her. That That's how I, I interpreted it. And I was very, very happy with that because I don't want Clea to be just out there in the freaking woods either. Like I, I want her to have a purpose and maybe these two beings can help each other. It's a two-part um, dissatisfaction with that ending. One is that I don't feel that Clea's relationship to her was built enough, but also I really like what hers motivations were. I really like the way that that her character was built, where she does again truly love Claire, but is a natural liar. She is still in many ways evil, but. I would have liked to have seen that realization come a little bit more organically, a little bit more as a character development than as how I felt in the end being effectively exposition. Oh my god, I could not disagree with you more. I'm shocked that you feel that way, honestly, because I thought it was so beautiful and kind and like because we don't know what happens with these creatures we don't know how these two are gonna help each other but they are and i think that that's really cool and i think it was totally earned and that's fine and i think that it's beautiful i think that it's very nice i like to think i like to think in my head that the two of them find some sort of peace i just i just wanted a little bit more to get there that's all so um, just a little bit more stuff in the spoiler section I wanted to talk about. Wanted to put a bow on Miss Mathis. I loved her so freaking much. I love that she broke her cycle at the end, too. Of And she even said she's like, I've just been wallowing in self-pity for like... <laughs> 
18 years or whatever. Like, you know, I love that she and and Clea were into going to the One Wish house, the One Wish Man, the, the Wish Mansion, whatever, make a wish, I can't remember. But um, that they were into going to it and they were into being part of that lifestyle. But then when they saw what was really the conduit for that being Kevin, it, you know, they could never go back to it. And, you know, obviously Clea ended up freeing Kevin as best she could since he was kind of screwed. <laughs> um, but I really loved Miss Mathis a lot. I thought she was so cool the way she blasely talked about these dark occult magics and she's just constantly smoking and drunk. And um, I, I don't know, I just loved everything about her. I felt like in this midst of all this crazy fantasy, fantasy stuff, she was like so real. She, I, I loved Miss Mathis and I loved... I, I really loved everything about that character, but how much did you just want to strangle her when after Claire came back from the one wish house and she, and after she had explicitly said, Miss Mathis, Oh, that's silly. Those are children's tales. And she knows that this girl's going to go and do this. I mean, she knows the girl knows about it. She's yeah. going to try and find it. So, Oh yeah, I knew about that all the time. Oh, ah. Well, yeah, that's, you, <laughs> you know. You could have stopped all of this if you had just said something. Well, her mind is a bit fogged with uh, the booze, and she is a coward. She's a coward. Oh, until absolutely, she, yeah. Until she stands up and does the right thing at last. I think one of my favorite lines is when uh, she's like, oh, that's not leather, honey. That's human skin. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And Claire's reaction to that was great, too. Just like really just about to vomit from that idea. And and even later when she sees that there's I don't remember what it was. There, were, there was some sort of food sitting next to that <laughs> scroll. And she's just like, how how can you even put those together? Um, I loved Uncle Mike, too. Like we talked about um, how they have kind of I mean, he's not wrong. Like, you know, Miss Mathis sort of was a. um participating in all the magics and whatnot, but she's not bad like Uncle Mike thinks she is. But I love Uncle Mike's weird paranoia and that he's totally fine with like the fact that Claire steals shit from him. Um I, I don't know. I just thought he was really fun and funny and also sad and very poignant. And yeah, I, I just loved him too. He's neat because I mean, he does not like it that Claire steals from him all the time. And, and you know, he's not she just like little things. Yeah, He's not play acting at being mad and chasing her down <laughs> the street. But at the same time, she's kind of the the well, first of all, she reminds him a lot of his his daughter. Yeah. And so he cares about her. And it's almost kind of like a, a secret mentorship sort she of thing. She cares about him, too. It's really sweet. And she feels guilty about stealing stuff, especially when she takes the rose wood box um i i loved that when she found kevin's journal um so, god something we forgot to say at the first part of this episode this book has beautiful freaking illustrations in it yeah i i read the book on my phone so i i mean i saw the illustrations but i wish i could have seen them on paper yeah a beautiful beautifully illustrated book um a couple of scary stuff that i just wanted to celebrate real quick I loved the whole walk to the One Wish house the first time Claire goes. 
the creepy crucified cardinal and I love the house itself and how weird it is and with all the offerings in the hallway but then like how Clea actually we find out later is the one that helps her through the woods but ooh that was really scary that was good scary stuff it was particularly the pitch black room before she finally gets to the one wish man where the hands are just covering her and Ugh. and just grabbing her in the dark i don't i don't get the symbolism of that scene yet that's a specific scene that i really want to read through again because i feel like there's a deeper symbolism that i'm missing there and it, that's how good it is i have some theories but they're still percolating the other um wonderful creepiness that i loved uh, that really stood out painted this beautiful vivid picture in my mind is when um claire goes to the simpkins mansion and there's the, all the people gathered and they're finery and they're just being really weird and there's like a cat skull and they're drinking out of goblets and it's so weird and you know you know it's like oh my god claire you have to get out of there i was screaming at her i'm like claire run run homegirl run and then of course luther simpkins uh, and his self flayed body puke so good. It says something about this book that it features a demonic possession in the very first part of the book. And it's not until that point in the book that you go, oh, damn, this is real. This is scary, like occult stuff. They're all in it. All of them witches. <laughs> Just like a Rosemary's baby. It, that's a triumph, really. I mean, from, it's set up as being anything goes horror stuff at the beginning but it's not until then that you realize oh this can actually go in some really really dark scary places um oh so good that contemporary dark fantasy horror stuff really really good i liked the wish house demon that follows her around too um i like the way that she describes that demon he's periphery she shadow. can't really see it until the end but she but she always describes exactly what it's doing she oh, can't yeah. see it, but she knows exactly where it is, exactly what it's looking at, exactly where it's standing. Yeah. I love how it like it won't go into the church and it won't go into the Simpkins house. It's like, I may be a demon, but I'm not crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, let's give this a rating. I would like to go first in this case, if that's all right with you. Do it. Um, I don't know how the author was able to put so much nuance and grace into the great many themes that he tied into this book. But um, I can't think of a better written teenage uppercase first story. Um, and, and Roy, even with all the horrible things he ends up saying to Claire, ends up being a marginally sympathetic character because it's a symptom, symptom of what his father has kind of done to him. Th this book is written so well when it comes to all of its explorations. As I said, my only complaint with this book is I feel that the ending, in some respects, the, the very, very end with everyone separating, separating off somewhat happily was a little bit unearned and a little bit too fast. Uh, what are we scoring this, though? Cardinals? Crucified, crucified cardinals. cardinals? Okay, I'm going to give it four crucified cardinals out of five. <laughs> oh i love cardinals it's so sad um i agree um i you know i never want to beat a dead horse by the end of these things but i found it such a beautiful beautiful southern gothic wonderful coming of age story beautifully told about somebody that goes through hard things relevant things um 
you know, she's been assaulted. She's been possessed. <laughs> Maybe that's not so relevant. She's had a hard relationship with her peers, with her family, with herself. And yet the supernatural stuff just like doesn't scare her as much as standing on her own does. Just so beautifully written, this book, and still has some good disturbing imagery and some wonderful horror stuff to sink your teeth into. Um, You know, so it's not all tears, <laughs> which I always appreciate. I'm going to have to give it also four really big, juicy, red, crucified cardinals out of oh, five. Oh, don't describe them as juicy. Oh. Yeah, they're juicy. They're juicy. They're juicy. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sandra. I'm Scott. And please keep reading past your bedtime. 